0: You're listening to SHIFT, Human First Financial Guidance with Ross Marino.
1: Today, we are shifting the conversation with Ed Combs. Hello, Ed.
0: Hey, Ross. Great to be with you today.
1: Thanks for being on the show today. How about you start with an introduction of who you are and what led you up to this point?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Uh, so my name is Ed Combs. And, you know, just before we started this, I was thinking, how do I describe myself? So today, I'm going to describe myself as a therapeutic financial planner. Now, most people have never heard that combination of words, therapeutic financial planner. I mean, some are hearing financial therapists. So before I get ahead of myself, the short bio sketches, professional firefighter to financial planner, MBA, CFP, working at Vanguard, go back to school to become a therapist because I need to know how people work. So I've worked the last eight years as a couples therapist. And in that have been really trying to help develop the field of financial therapy. So that's where I formed my relationship with the Financial Therapy Association, which is a great group of both mental health professionals and financial planning professionals that are trying to bring these two worlds together. So I have my own practice, healthyloveandmoney.com, where I offer a number of different services, blog, podcast, book, course, and uh, soon to be the only financial planning services with a therapeutic lens. That
1: is awesome. And in 2003, you also have a role with the Financial Therapy Association?
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm very excited to be the president of the Financial Therapy Association. And this year's theme will be the self of the financial therapist. And so for people that are listening, they may be scratching their head and saying, what in the world does that mean? And the self of the financial therapist builds on the from the tradition of the field of therapy, where we say the self of the therapist is the tool of change, right? So, oftentimes when we think about financial planning, we're thinking about using investments and tax strategies and cash flow analysis to change people's lives, which it does. But in the world of therapy, we don't have a stock bond portfolio to give our clients to make their world better. We have ourselves in a room. And then we go in there and we see what happens. And that's where the magic, right? Because therapy is all about the relationship and using the relationship to help someone work through the different thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and beliefs that they hold about themselves and the world they live in. And that's what we're really working with. So the self of the therapist is about being able to know that in yourself and be very open to exploring that. And so we want to extend that to financial therapy and say, well, What's going on for you when you log into your Schwab money account and you see those all those numbers? (gasps) Oh, you mean I well, I feel some panic and anxiety sometimes. (laughs) Oh, what do I do with that? So, the self of the financial therapist is really about knowing yourself, what happens to you around all kinds of different money topics, like, oh my god, I haven't talked to my brother in three months and he doesn't have as much money. And I'm thinking about my family's estate planning and Oh, this really stirs me up. And if I'm uncomfortable with that, then does that mean I'm afraid to talk to somebody else about their family dynamics and their estate planning and their long disconnected brother? So yeah, that's a little taste of what we're talking about and trying to work on figuring out how do we get comfortable with our own uncomfortable stuff?
1: It's a great place to start because really without the self-awareness on how I think and how I feel about money and financial decisions, I'm limited in my ability to empathize with clients to have insight. I mean, is it even possible for me to go deep with someone if I really haven't uncovered that myself?
0: I don't think so. I don't. I think you know that was kind of the big shock for me when I came out of grad school to be a therapist, as I knew just enough to know I hadn't really gone deep with myself. So I had the technical knowledge and skills, the starting technical knowledge and skills to be a good therapist. But I hadn't really allowed myself to go on my own journey of looking at who am I, what has what has truly shaped me in my life, and then what pains am I really still holding on to from my past that I've disconnected from, which is a large part of the therapeutic healing journey is often either reconnecting to pains that you never allowed yourself to acknowledge as pains, or being able to work through the pains that you know are painful, and being able to understand them and bring them to a greater degree of resolution.
1: Got a cool newsletter today from Three Crowns Marketing, and it was talking about the intersection of Behavioral psychology and finance. And, and in the center of it, they actually asked the question, are you ready to be a financial therapist? And I chuckled and, and forwarded that, that newsletter to you. And they had a, a report from Edelman group that went over affluent, semi affluent people, how they think, how they feel about money. And they had some stats from these surveys. And what made me chuckle is you and I keyed in on the exact same stat. And then said the exact same thing in response to it. So how about I start with the stat that we both read and then you can go into our response.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: here's what I saw from the report. It said 65% of affluent people have made or admitted that they made decisions based on emotions. So 65% said I have made financial decisions based on emotions and over one third of it regretted it. And I read that and said, oh, 65% of affluent people believe they made decisions based on emotions. Hmm. What do you think, Ed?
0: Well, I think 100% of affluent Americans and every other American and every other global citizen makes emotional decisions every day about money. The question is not whether whether emotion is shaping your financial decisions. It's what emotion is shaping it and to what degree are you aware of it? Now what's really interesting is we we're waking up to the reality that emotion shapes and influences our financial decisions and our beliefs and behaviors, right? So we're not just behavioral creatures, which behavioral economics makes me so darn frustrated because we're not just behavioral creatures. Like the naming convention is so wrong. We are humans, so this is why I like what you're doing, humans first because humans is an all-encompassing term and we have to take all the parts of being a human and understand all the parts And so one of those pieces, I'm, Ross, I'm working down the brain. So in my early 20s, I started with my prefrontal cortex and learned everything I could about how money works. To go to therapy school to learn that I actually have other parts of my brain, like the limbic system, which is more the emotional processing. And as I've continued on my healing journey, and I can more or less name my emotions now, which I couldn't do in the past, I'm learning I have a nervous system. Maybe you've heard of this thing, the fight, flight, freeze response, you know, and it's connected to your nervous system. And it's like, oh, and then there, there's this whole big field called polyvagal theory, which studies the vagus nerve, which is really the scientific study of this common phrase, fight and flight. And so, what I would say is, we make every decision from our nervous system. Because our nervous system creates our emotional reality and then goes into our thought and belief and behavior world. So when we recognize the brain is organized hierarchically or evolutionarily, the brainstem is the first to develop even within the womb. Our nervous system is first. Then comes the limbic or midbrain. And this fun part that we love to think that we're using all the time in our financial decision-making, our prefrontal cortex, uh, doesn't finish developing until we're into our mid-20s. Oh, and by the way, if you're experiencing any trauma in your life and relational disconnection, your ability to connect all these zones of your brain are being limited, which is what we really need is a fully integrated brain to make Great financial decisions. So uh, that's my soapbox. And yes, so we're making emotional decisions 100% of the time, but we're also making nervous system decisions 100% of the time. We have what's called neuroception.
1: So as I read that stat, I thought here we are with two thirds of affluent people. And in the same study, they said 64% of the non affluent. So we're just going to call it two thirds across the board believe that they've made financial decisions uh, based on emotion. My next thought would be, well, I know emotion drives it, I get it, I've learned enough. I'm not a therapist, but but I've read enough, I've listened enough, I get that. I've gotta communicate that to people or figure out how to help them. And if many of them don't even believe that they're making these decisions based on emotion, because this morning we had a conversation in our office about a client who is absolutely brilliant And so highly emotional, I'm not even sure the next step with this person. I've got to think through it because they believe they are brilliant, analytical, and they have it all figured out. And I'm thinking this is the most emotional person I have ever worked with in my entire life. And I'm trying to come up with ways as how do I facilitate that conversation? So how about some practical advice for a financial advisor where I've got this person, they believe they're fully analytical. And I can see clear as day this is pure emotion. What do I do with that?
0: Yeah, you know that's a really great question. And my blade my brain is lighting up right now because I want to take you about five different ways. and I realize you asked me for a simple like something simple here. Well I am an
1: advisor after all, lad. so you have to keep it simple.
0: <laughs> well, I mean you're, you're you're more just recognizing. I think you know giving advisors, look we it's easy to want to kind of beat up on advisors on the psychology stuff. But I was one, and you know, like, so it's it's been the journey of learning, right? Just like you know, planners sometimes can beat up on their clients who's like, "Oh, why don't they know like the tax deferral limits or whatever you know thing?" You're like, "This is so obvious." I, if, anyway, I digress. Focus, Ed. Um, like I have to rein my brain back in here. Yeah, I'm gonna
1: wave the wand to bring you back. Oh, the magic! Yes, thank you. Oh, the Come magic wand
0: that is helping me. Um, I wish that would help with your client, but I think for those highly intellectual clients that are what I would call disconnected from their emotional reality. They can't even see that they're highly emotional. One of the, the most generous things that I like to start with is just being able to notice and say, wow, client, you really like to think through things and you, your intelligence is a great asset for you, right? So we're, we're connecting with them on a way that they see themselves positively because it feel, can feel dangerous to see these other parts of ourself. And then you know so you kind of start with that positive connection that relational connection to say you know we're working really hard through your investment portfolio i see that you're really trying to analyze a lot of data and you want to really make a good good decision here right which is like that's but then you can start to work into it and say you know i wonder you know what what role do you think emotions might play in in these types of decisions global, not them, just in general. right? Because what we're doing is we're trying to draw them into the reflective brain, back into the more of the prefrontal cortex. So when we, when we ask reflective type questions, it draws them a little bit more out of the limbic region and more back into the prefrontal cortex. Right? That will help them re, re-regulate some. But That's an ongoing process of getting to ask them. And then you can go a little deeper and start to say, you know, I wonder if anybody else in your life has ever made emotional decisions around money, right? Because we're just getting curious about what role have they seen emotion play around money? Because we know humans make emotion gets paired with money. And often the uncomfortable emotions get heavily paired with money. So anger, fear, anxiety, shame, jealousy, right? Those are all quote-unquote undesirable emotions in many people's minds. We don't want to feel those or acknowledge that we experience those. So if we can get them to start to talk about it and be a little more reflective, the big goal is we're trying to work them into the comfort with emotions. So as a mental health professional, the long game is to help people become comfortable with what I like to call the whole emotional palette. Mm. Right. There's uh, emotional wheels. You can look them up online very easily. And they, they chart all the different human emotions we have. And they have ones that are very simple core emotion charts. And they have ones that get into more of the nuanced subtleties. And what we know from a mental health and neuroscience perspective is the more nuance and texture people can give to their emotional world, the better they're able to regulate and work with it. So many of our clients that are experiencing high degrees of emotion, but can't see it for themselves, they've learned that it's not safe to be connected to their emotional world. So the long goal is to help them become increasingly more comfortable with the fact that they make emotional decisions themselves. And so the simple advice is to conceptually think about complimenting the client just on where their strengths are, and then global observations about emotion. So it's really far from them. Right. And then we're just bringing it in closer and closer to them. And we're continuing to test to see when they can actually come in contact. Right. An emotionally healthy person or someone on that journey, you could say, right, so Ross, if you were my client, right, and you were kind of in this client's state of mind, I would say, wow, Ross, it seems like there's a lot of different emotions coming up for you. Are you does that feel true for you? Right, and you're nodding, you're saying, yeah, you know, there are a lot. Yeah, I might follow up with asking something like, what do you think is the dominant emotion right now? So you can go that route too, right? Is, for people that are a little further along the, the path.
1: What I love about that is that as I translate this to my basic brain, and yeah. I, I say that, you know, slightly yeah. tongue-in-cheek, But what you're actually doing is shifting the conversation because when the client is analytic and saying, here's what's going on and here's what I think is going to happen, I have to get away from the analytics and I have to have a strategy to do that. And it's going to come with questions. I have to be able to shift the conversation. Sounds like that's what you just described.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the way that I think about it is for my highly analytical clients, I leverage that because that is a natural strength for them. So I, what I'm doing is I'm getting them to think about the role of emotions because that's a safer entry point. Yes. Right. We have some clients that have no problem owning that they feel very strongly about stuff and they're not ashamed to tell you about it. And we almost need them to get into their analytical brain. Right. So we're, we have clients that are kind of on either end of that continuum, what part of their brain they lead with. Some clients, it's all emotion and it's all over the place and it feels very chaotic, especially for us analytically, linearly oriented planners. Let's just look at the, what the tax law says. <laughs> Let's just look at what the 401k rules are. We'll make a decision and we'll run our analysis real quick and see like oh yeah it's better to do this than this the software tells us
1: all i need is my hp 12c
0: calculator right that's yes
1: this this is all i need to work with
0: that's right i got it it solves all math all money problems yeah until it does it right and so that's this journey that we're on but i think the other thing to really keep in mind is and this is where what do i say helping clients And this i realize this is everyday work for me now as a therapist and newer work for most planners but starting to introduce the concept of that we learn about money through every stage of life Mm. and most of the meanings that we give to money are based in the emotions we saw in our family right that that imprints in our neural pathways and this is also where I like to, you know, f- for those analytically more science-based, but I think just even general, general everyday folks, when we under- can understand more the basics of how our brain actually is wired and works, it kind of destigmatizes things. It makes it less that there's something wrong with me, and more like this is the way the human brain is wired and organized. You and I don't have any control over the, the fundamental way the brain is organized. That is the gift of evolution. Or your creator. Or both, depending on what your worldview is. But you, any one of those worldviews, you can still look at it and say, this is the way it is organized. And science helps us continually better understand the way the brain comes to grow and develop. That there are what's called neurodevelopmental sequences, periods of rapid growth and less rapid growth. Anybody that's raised kids knows that. You can see the external reality of that. And you can see, you know, if you've had a middle schooler, man, you know how awkward their bodies are. <laughs> if that's what it looks like outside. Think about what's going on inside the brain, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, God love them, and we've all passed through that. And so that's also just something as planners we can really keep in mind is that the brain goes through these different stages and we have different life events at those stages that set up our brain wiring. So we don't have a whole lot of choice over that. What we do have choice over is finding help and support and information that helps us reorganize the way we see ourselves in the world into a way that's more balanced, more reflective, um, more open, more flexible, more flexible, so Dan Siegel is an incredible brain and therapist researcher. He's helped compile many, many professionals into the field called interpersonal neurobiology. And what that basically means is between you and I, how, how does what happens between you and I shape what happens in our brain? Mm. Right. So like before we hopped on this call, I already had a Ross file in my brain because we've interacted a few times and, have, and you had one for me. So we kind of knew what to expect. So our relationship is forming the impression of each other over and over again. And that's true for all these major relationships. And then it kind of like, I like to think about it as like it compiles a file based on the core file, which is mom and dad hmm. and filters everything else through that and how the relationships shape us.
1: Fascinating stuff. So glad it's becoming more and more prevalent in financial planning. Uh, I'm glad you're part of it, Ed. I'm glad the Financial Therapy Association is here. Look forward to seeing you at Shift in March.
0: I can't wait to be in San Antonio and to see all the wonderful financial planners there. So excited about psychology and humans and money. The conversation is going to be great. The show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results.